Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. So Lucas, I hear that there's a new addition to your uh, to your family over there in uh, in your apartment, and it, ha- it goes by the name of the Nintendo Switch. That's right. My new family member is one Mario. Uh, he's moving in. He uh, he's a gonna win because, and I'm a gonna win because I bought a Nintendo Switch yesterday. Almost. Uh, I spent too much money on it. Here in Canada, the Nintendo Switch comes to about $450 with taxes included. And that's if you don't buy a game here in Canada. Games will run you about $90 new. So, uh, did some damage there, but it's well worth it. Because you can take it off the old TV and then bring it around with you no matter where you go. So what are you, are you playing anything or did you just not have any money left for a game? Uh, we got Mario Kart for now because my girlfriend loves Mario Kart. Hmm. Uh, but I'm thinking next week, once the paycheck rolls through, I'm going to get myself some Splatoon 2, which I'm excited for. Are, are, are you going to move up to Breath of the Wild at some point? No, not my kind of thing. Uh, <sighs> I'm never, I've, never been, I've never been a big Zelda guy. I am, ex- however, excited for uh, Mario vs. the Rabbids. I love those little little dudes, those little crazy guys. They're like white minions. Gotta love that. And then I'm excited for uh, Super Mario Odyssey. So lots to look forward to on the horizon from Nintendo. I think I was thinking in like my darkest pre-bed thoughts last night, and I was like, maybe I should get a Switch, because I'm really interested in Breath of the Wild. I am a... I, I, I guess I'm a Zelda fan. I'm just tired. I'm kind of tired of people saying that they're Zelda fans. So it's just like, I like those games, but I don't know if I would self-identify as a Zelda fan. And I don't know when in the world I'm ever going to play Breath of the Wild. I mean, you could probably get a Wii U for nothing these days. That's true. But then again, who would want that? Uh, <laughs> hey, hey there. It's, uh, well, this is not this is not the Nintendo Voice Chat podcast. As a matter of fact... It is something entirely different. This is Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast, where we talk about the classic PBS uh, cartoon series. My name is Will Young, and I'm your host. With me is uh, Mr. Lucas Mancini. Hello, hello. New Switch owner Lucas Mancini, and now we are got ourselves into another episode. Uh, of, but we did get a couple of new emails to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. So before we get into all that, let's talk about these emails. Uh, first of all, I want to acknowledge a listener who sent us, I mean, listen, I love all of the emails that we get, don't get me wrong, but this is absolutely one of my favorites, it was really touching to read. Uh, it's a bit lengthy and it's a bit personal, so I think I'm going to uh, keep this one private for now, but I want to thank uh, Leah, who is a native Syrian who is listening in New York City, currently attending Columbia University. All the best in your studies, Leah. And thank you so much for sharing your personal story with Lucas and I. Yeah, uh, Will sent that email my way, and it's a great story about the... And it still has to do with Arthur, about the perspective of being from Syria and watching the show Arthur. It was something I never really considered before, and so it was a really great read. So thanks for sending that in. Uh, We did get an email from a listener named Mike. Uh, He was very complimentary to us. Uh, being a millennial, he remembers fondly watching the first seven or eight seasons of Arthur after school, and I think that uh, that goes for the both of us as well. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I don't. I I really don't know what seasons I stopped watching because I didn't really have a concept of seasons back then. Like it was just Arthur's on, so I really don't know when they switch over to the uh, Flash animation and it becomes the show I'm less familiar with. Uh, Mike is a podcaster himself. By the way, Mike, you didn't tell you didn't uh, tell me what uh, what your podcast was. I'd love to know exactly what that is. Uh, and he's and he says he, that he's glad we were able to make new arrangements after you moved away. Very season two Buster of you. So that's a little bit of a preview to look forward 
later in the season. Uh, and finally, we have one that I am going to read in full. This one is from uh, Rainbow Monkeys. Uh, who says that I love you guys podcast. I listen to it whenever I draw or animate. It really gets my creative juices flowing. Uh, they have a question though. Out of curiosity, how do you think Arthur's glasses stay on his face? Do you have any wild theories of this phenomenon? Hmm. He doesn't really have a nose and his ears are on the top of his head. Exactly. It's, it's the, it's the ears on the side versus the ears on the top of the head. Uh, conundrum that has Ar been talked about. Okay. I got it. Yeah. Maybe Arthur's covered with fur, and the glasses have Velcro on the inside. Mm, okay, that's that could be something. I mean, it's I, I don't really have an idea myself. Uh, I've always kind of accepted that there is just uh, some kind of gravitational field that keeps his uh, that keeps his glasses in check. So uh, that's that's the best I got. Maybe Arthur uses flubber to keep them on. Well, that would make them bounce around, wouldn't they? I don't know. All I remember about Flubber is that it made Robin Williams good at basketball or something. So yeah, yeah, because it's like really bouncy and and that sort of thing. So you, what you'd be looking for is more something a lot stickier, like Nickelodeon Smud, perhaps. Was it called Smud? I, or, or is it? Are you thinking of Nickelodeon Gack? Or There's, is Nickelodeon Gack and Smud two different things? Gack and Smud are two different things. I I believe Gack is the. Uh, uh, the slimy substance that people get slimed with, and smud was uh, like a thing that they sold that was like a kind of a weird molding clay type thing that my sister and I had when we were little. Ooh, like phloam. Yeah, what's phloam again? It's like a weird molding clay with little balls. Yeah, except take except take the balls out and put freaky colors in there. Okay. I'm pretty sure you can look up a commercial. All I remember is, it's Nickelodeon Smud. Nickelodeon Smud. Smud never crumbles, never turns to crud. Yeah, Smud. That's me, Nickelodeon Smud. He's sold separately. You know, really steering into the smud of it all. Oh, jeez. Don't throw smud at me, Will. So we've got ourselves another pair of Arthur stories here. And thank you, everybody, for your emails. We really appreciate it. Okay, so we're starting it off with one that uh, really captured your imagination yesterday when I announced the title, Arthur versus the Piano. And let me tell you, Will, this is an example of my imagination getting the better of me. I was to assume that this episode was a direct sequel to Buster Baxter Cat Saver, because in that episode, there, there's a movie where Buster literally fights pianos. <laughs> uh, and so you can imagine my disappointment when I realized that has nothing to do with this. No, I'm afraid not. And I, and I wasn't sure uh, that I wasn't aware that that was what you were excited about. But no, it's a definitely a lot different. Um, I was kind of taken aback when it started off this episode because usually uh, when Arthur does the, uh, the cold open, he, he usually there's a little bit of introduction to the fact that it's the cold open. This time it's Arthur like hitting the ground running. He's just like, yo, yo, what up? Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about uh, potential jobs I could have. Yeah, Arthur goes, I could have just about any job I wanted, which, hey, power to him. I mean, if you, I don't want to get political right off the jump, but who's to say Arthur couldn't run for president? We got The Rock planning to run for president. We have uh, Mark Zuckerberg planning to run for president. Why not Arthur? Sure. He's got a great literacy program, I've no doubt. It's true. Take that, Michelle Obama. <laughs> uh, so Arthur talking about potential jobs he could have. Uh, he could be a teacher like Mr. Ratburn, except in his case he would give uh, no homework whatsoever. So uh, in his mind, better than Mr. Ratburn. He could be a great 2017 teacher as they're not allowed to check your homework. Well, no, in uh, where we live, teachers are not allowed to grade you based on upon your homework. So that would be A-OK -okay nowadays. Arthur dressed as Mr. Ratburn, an image that is not the last time that we'll see it, but uh, it dressed in the Mr. Ratburn suit. In fact, I believe he is for when he's dressed as an accountant, uh, which is his mom's job. That's right. He's typing on the computer and he helps... Mr. Crosswire get a significant tax refund, which I really, really appreciated. It was actually one of my favorite moments in these two episodes, just because, like, that's one of those jokes where the kids aren't going to get it. It goes right over their heads, but that's pretty <laughs> funny. The rich get richer. Thanks a lot, Arthur. Or he could be a caterer like his dad, and you see him actually in a helicopter, as 
caterers are, I suppose. Uh, and he is creating the world's largest pepperoni pizza in like a football stadium. And he's got a helicopter that is comes packed with meat cannons, basically. He's got two big pepperoni sausages that come out on these claw arms, and he slices them up in the helicopter blades and then uses the helicopter 28 weeks later style to cut to cut the pizza. Yeah, um, he's very skilled with this helicopter, so much so that, like, I think Shane McMahon should give him a call next time he's uh, taking a overnight flight somewhere. Man, that was crazy, like, waking up from a nap to be, like, people talking about Shane McMahon in the helicopter. I thought they were talking about that WWE game, the Here Comes the Pain, where you could go outside and do a high spot from, like, a helicopter. And it's like, oh, no, he, he nearly died. Or maybe they're getting him confused with Sting. It's like, who's that coming down from the helicopter? It's Shane McMahon. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was wild to wake up to and try to figure out. Uh, so Arthur says he could do just about anything except be a piano player. And that's uh, when we get into the episode proper. Uh, we start off, everybody's in band practice, so we get to see everybody playing uh, their one instrument that they're good at. And we are told that very soon they will be doing their solo performances First for an audience of uh, younger students, and then for, at a concert for the parents. And everybody's kind of nervous about it or anticipating it in some way. And uh, Miss Krasny, I believe that's her name, the music teacher, uh, says that music is like ear painting. And we get a fun, we get a fun exchange here with Binky, who kind of doesn't really get it, and also because it's a bad metaphor. Uh, but he's just like, if I get paint in my ears, my mom gets mad. I speak from experience. And I yeah, I, I, I loved that line, especially that when Binky says, I speak from experience, just because it seems a little bit out of character for him. So yeah. I thought that was really funny. And also, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, music is like ear painting is a horrible uh, analogy. It doesn't even make any sense. She says, think of music like art. And it's like, music is art, Miss Krasny. What are you talking about? Yeah, she she eventually gives up and just like, just think of music as art. And I'm like, good, I'm glad that you abandoned this bad, bad metaphor. Uh, we get a kind of a montage of Arthur trying to convince his friends to go hang out, but they're all committed to practicing their instrument, whereas Arthur is uh, supremely confident that he will be able to play his piece no problem and doesn't need to practice. And we get what I've labeled here the Sorry Sir montage, which is just a, three, a, a story in three parts of Mr. Haney totally getting dunked on by the kids by accident. Uh, so the first one is Buster remembering to clean out his spit, his spit valve because last year he forgot to and Mr. Haney totally got sprayed with Buster's spit from his tuba. This whole thing, you know, comedy comes in thirds and so it keeps on escalating. Then we get Francine, who needs to remember to tape up her drumsticks because after Mr. Haney got sprayed with spit, he got hit in the head by one of her broken drumsticks. And then finally, uh, uh, Binky is talking about how he needs to do his tongue exercises uh, because last time he tried to play the clarinet, he got tongue-tied. And we're not talking tongue-tied like he can't talk. It's uh, like his, his tongue is literally in, like, in a knot, in a Gordian knot of some sort. And uh, not just that, but he was also, also after he was kind of uh, tongue-tied, he's stumbling around the stage and does like what looks to be a flying senton into the lap of Mr. Haney. And we get a clean, a clean chair break here and just uh, to, add in, to add injury to insult among, to Mr. Haney. Yeah, uh, Binky channeling his inner Jeff Hardy. My favorite part about this is there's a beat in between Binky, uh, Mr. Haney getting injured and uh, Binky's tongue getting tied up. Because Binky's like, yeah, my tongue got tied up. And of course, rule of thirds in comedy. Buster's like, wasn't there something else? Or someone goes, wasn't there something else? And then it cuts back to the story and he injures Mr. Haney a third time. Yeah, Arthur's like, wasn't there something else? Oh, yeah. Uh, but so Arthur has nobody to hang out with. So he goes back home not to practice on his piano, he's reading comic books while he's doing it, and we get the B, the B plot of the episode, which is DW has the hiccups, so she's trying to do everything she can to get rid of them, and tries to enlist Arthur's help. Um, she and a lot, yeah. a, a lot of different characters give her different solutions throughout this episode, some of which I'd never heard before, but I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you, Will, uh, what do you do when you get the hiccups? What's your go-to hiccup cure? 
if I have it in the house, it's actually one of the ones in this episode, peanut butter. That's where I learned oh. it from, and it works every time. I always have trouble when I get the hiccups. Uh, for a while there, I didn't have a surefire way, so I'd always Google, like on WikiHow, like six ways to get rid of the hiccups. None of them will work. Uh, and when I get the hiccups, I get the bad. I have them for like hours, they will go away. The, f the best thing I could ever uh, try is sometimes if I hold my breath almost to the point of passing out, then it'll reset my diaphragm and uh, the hiccups will go away. But that's really only the only consistent solution I've found thus far. Next time, just keep a couple packets of peanut butter around. I swear, like... I, I've tried I've tried the peanut butter thing. It did not work for me. Oh, I've really? tried everything, yeah. It, it, works, I, I, it works like a charm for me. I have these super hiccups that won't go away like any, you know, drinking water upside down, uh, continuously breathing inward. No matter what works for other people, the only thing that works for me is almost passing out. Maybe you're, maybe you're the new hiccup kid. Maybe one day you'll get hiccups and you'll Ooh. never stop. Uh, so I'm son of hiccup kid. <laughs> <laughs> El hijo de hiccup kid. <laughs> Arthur says one of the ways that you can get rid of hiccups is to is to get scared. But DW says, I'm not scared of anything. And then Arthur fakes that uh, mom threw away her crazy bus CD. And it seems to work at least right away. In fact, I think it does work. And later on, she just gets them again. So that night, Arthur is going to bed. He's still very confident that he uh, uh, will remember every part of his solo. But then we get one of those classic uh, Arthur dreamscapes. One of those classic Arthur... I don't know what you call them, but just the, the parts of an Arthur episode that are usually the most memorable, which is Arthur has a nightmare about what could happen if he messes up the solo. Oh my goodness. This, like... It's funny, though, because these have a wide range. Like, some of them feel like a German expressionist film, like, at their most bizarre and angular. And then some of them are, are, are just strange. This, on the other hand, felt like old Hollywood. It was a, uh, a vibe that these cutaways have not had before, and so I really dug it. Yeah, so this one, a bit more straightforward, but definitely out there in its own way. So the dream is, is that Arthur is doing his solo, although for some reason, uh, Binky and Buster are also playing their instruments at the same time. But then again, it's a dream. Uh, so he hits one wrong note in this composition. I, uh, I wish I knew what this was. I, like, I, we've all heard it before, but I don't even want to try and say, like, which concerto in whatever minor it is. Uh, it's but like I, the one, it's the one that what goes. Something. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've heard a MIDI of it before. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I think it is Beethoven, but that's as far as I'm going to guess. Uh, so he hits one wrong note and then can't get past that wrong note. He keeps trying to play past it, but keeps playing the wrong note anyway. And then eventually runs away in disgrace as the uh, the first graders are like throwing tomatoes at him. And as he passes by Binky, Binky just kind of looks at him and goes, Hey, you stink! <laughs> and then somehow, uh, talk about Buster Baxter Catsaver being a slow day for news. He makes the front page of the Elwood City Times... Uh, in like one of those spinning newspaper things of just like extra extra local boy plays wrong note. Yeah, this reminded me. This reminded me of like local man ruins everything. Yeah, uh, local man thinks wrestling is real. Exactly. And the subheadline says bad bad musician. So <laughs> I didn't notice that. So with no transition, just the simple headline, we cut to Arthur, and he is on the streets on a cold wintry night. In like a in like a hobo jacket, a hobo duster, and with those like fingerless gloves, and he's just trying to shield himself from the cold. So we're to understand that uh, somehow Arthur has become destitute and kicked out of his house for playing the wrong note once. This is within the time span of a year too. They make sure to mention that it's exactly one year later. That's right. So just by chance, he passes by a movie theater where D.W. pulls up in a limousine and she comes out in this this wonderful, like, pink dress and all this kind of stuff. And she recognizes Arthur. That, I think that's where we find out it's been a year since he played the wrong note. Uh, we find out she still has the hiccups 
as the paparazzi are taking uh, camera shots of her. And Arthur's like, do you want me to, I can help you get rid of them. And she's just like, get rid of them? No way. And she points up to the marquee and that's where we get The Hiccup Kid Part 3, which is a movie series that has made DW a gazillionaire. Which I'm only realizing now they made two installments in one year. They're like, uh, with that record, they're going to beat the Transformers movies any day. Yeah, this is like if this is like if uh, I didn't do it, if Bart Simpson, I didn't do it, got like a five picture deal or something. <laughs> she says, call me sometime. And Arthur says, uh, uh, I don't have a phone. Uh, a kindly gentleman offers him a few bucks. And <laughs> this is this is great because the guy is it's like a, an older bunny who's kind of dressed well to do like he's going to the opera or something. And he reminded me of the he reminded me of the scary guy from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like the guy that approaches Charlie in the alleyway. OK, I forget his name, though. Uh, he's dressed like the exact same way. And, and he just looks at Arthur and says, I know you. You're that kid who played D-flat instead of D-sharp and takes the money away. And Arthur's just <laughs> left on his own in the snowy cold. And this is his worst fear of wrecking the recital. This was, this was really something. Like, it wasn't quite as wacky or, like, outlandish as some of the other ones that we've seen. But I really, I really enjoyed how... Arthur's brain just kind of eats itself with fear. Well, it all—it was really over dramatic. Like, especially my favorite touch is like the fingerless gloves that he's wearing. Like, he is just a 1930s home hobo. Uh, the whole—the whole thing is great. Yeah, he's basically Charlie Chaplin's The Tramp without like the physical mm. comedy. Uh, so Arthur then you know wakes up and is just like that couldn't happen, could it? Sort of thing. And then we cut to the next day when they're doing the recitals for the kids and Arthur gets on stage to do his performance, but then he kind of gets a bit of stage fright and fakes like he's sick because now the, the piano is in his head. Uh, he, he, he's, it's bought retail space in his brain, so he can't, he can't do it in front of people at least. We cut, we cut outside uh, and Binky is doing his tongue exercises while he's waiting for his turn. Did you notice how big Binky's tongue is? Yeah, Binky, Binky might be a dog, but he's got that giraffe tongue. Yeah, it's like he got that uh, that Gene Simmons tongue transplant or something. It's crazy. It's like mm. all the way up to his eyes and like down all the way to his neck or something. It's it's weird. It's weird stuff. So Arthur is looking for advice uh, on how to kind of get over this phobia. And uh, for some reason, he asks Buster, who has a, about a season and a half of reasons why you shouldn't ask him for advice. But to be fair, I think this is Buster's best advice that he ever gave him. Uh, because Arthur is able to play through the piece very well. And then Buster says, you don't need practice. You need confidence. And then tries to give him a bunch of ways that he could uh, that he can get through it. And I, and I think Buster's actually right on the money this time. Uh, Arthur tell uh, Buster tells Arthur to tell a joke, and Arthur responds with, "I don't know any jokes. You play on the piano, right?" And, and then uh, Buster plays a shave and a haircut, <laughs> which ends with uh, D.W. burping twice. And then <laughs> Arthur goes, uh, "What note was that?" And, and Buster's just like, "I didn't play one." And then just D.W. hopping back and forth trying to get the hiccups out. Uh, I will say also, I liked Buster's line here of, uh, it's like, you got to show the piano who's boss. And then he goes, one wrong note and your toothpicks. Which I don't really understand. Because, oh, yeah. He's saying, okay, uh, wow, that, I just had my own Phoenix Down moment. Uh, <laughs> of I, I, I assumed he was calling Arthur toothpicks, which I was like, that's awful threatening of Buster. <laughs> but now I realize... It's it's the uh, Buster with all of his knowledge and past experience of fighting pianos uh, was threatening the piano. <laughs> That's right. So he's got, so Buster has the balls to step up and tell the piano who's boss. Uh, yeah, no, it's not Arthur who's going to be toothpicks. It's the piano itself. You get uh, it, Will? It's it's the down of a phoenix. That's why it's called the phoenix down, because it's a phoenix's feathers. That that was a that was a big moment for me, but. I think to rival that was when I finally figured out the 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 joke with Tails' name, Miles Prower. Miles Prower, or that dude love 
and mankind, man and dude, kind and love. Oh, what? Oh, oh. Will. Oh, and then they're like, okay, you, you can only stretch that so far because Jack is another word for like dude or man, but cactus is not equivalent to like kind or love. The next thing is that Arthur is playing for Grandma Thora in DW, like just trying to practice playing for an audience. And I actually thought this part was really sweet. First of all, this is where Grandma Thora gives DW the advice of the peanut butter. And DW has it in her head at this point that if she keeps hiccuping, her head will explode. And we get a great like single shot of... Grandma Thora being like, what'd you say? When DW says, like, now my head won't pop off. Yeah, it's really weird, though, because it's really fast. Like, it's only a second we get this close-up of Grandma Thora being like, huh? Uh, and then we move on. And uh, so, you know, Grandma Thora says, you played it wonderfully. And Arthur's just like, that's because I was playing it for you, Grandma. Because he knows how much that she loves to hear him play. And then that's kind of the advice that she leaves him with, is that everybody in the audience wants to hear music. They're not, they're not against you, and they're not waiting for you to fail. And if you get stuck at any point, just imagine me in the audience that I love hearing you play, and no matter what, I'll still love hearing you play. And it was very, very sweet. I thought that was really nice. We do kind of fast forward here to the night of the big recital. Uh, Arthur kind of goes to the piano, is about to freeze again, and then we get uh, what I believe I've seen in meme form before. Uh, so Arthur looks out into the crowd, he sees Grandma Thora, and then all of a sudden he takes a big look at the crowd and everybody has Grandma Thora's face on their body. It's sort of like the PG version of imagining everyone in the crowd in their underwear. Yes. But it comes off as kind of creepy. Like, I'm not surprised you've seen a gif of this before, because it's like he's being John Malkoviching the crowd, but with his grandmother's face. Because none of their clothes change, right? So yeah. it's just Grandma Thora's face on all these different bodies and silhouettes. Just like, Thora, 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 <laughs> Thora, Thora, Thora. Oh, it's creeping me out now, and this is just over <laughs> Skype. Uh, yeah, so, and then Arthur does manage to get through almost the whole performance, but he still plays the wrong note at the part that he did in the dream, but then it finishes it, and <laughs> he, re he really rakes himself over the coals here, um, and just like, I wrecked it! I'm a human recital wrecker! But even which, though to that, which to that I say, as opposed to what? Like, what other types of recital... I guess, like, some sort of malfunction with the audio equipment would wreck a recital, but it's weird that he had to specify that he's a human recital wrecker. Yeah, it's more like... He just said recital wrecker. Yeah, it's more like that's like that's his identity and that's his job now. He'll forever be known as the human... You know, like, how Taz is the human suplex machine. I, w I was just gonna say, the human recital wrecker is his wrestling name. <laughs> Every, every match is a recital, so get ready to get wrecked, because here comes Arthur. That's not bad. That's that's, not that's bad. my little promo I cut for him. Well, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Every single match I have, it's a recital. And I'm the human recital wrecker, so if you're in a match with me, get ready to get wrecked. <laughs> I want to see if any of our fans are, uh, if any of our listeners are artistically inclined, would love to see a photo of either Arthur or Lucas as the human recital wrecker. <laughs> uh, so uh, Arthur's really beating himself up over it. And of course, he is kind of that personality type to really take this to heart. But he gets back there. Francine and Buster, who were kind of being his moral support beforehand, uh, didn't notice anything. The one who did notice, however, is Binky. And we get this wild reference that I never would have expected. Uh... You know, he, you know, Arthur, I heard that wrong note that you played. And he said, very Thelonious Monk of you. And a great line here. You've got some mean jazz chops, my man. <laughs> this was great. This is hilarious. I just, I, I, I remembered Binky saying, you've got some mean jazz chops. But the Thelonious Monk reference is something that's flown over my head for nearly my whole life. And hearing it again, I was like, I can't believe I just heard that. Maybe Binky is like a jazz prodigy, a la... Uh, Ryan Gosling in La La Land and he's I, just like that's why he was so confounded by when the music teacher was trying to explain to him that music was painting for the ears mm -hmm. he already is so in tune with what music is that it just sounded ridiculous to him I think you're right I, I think uh, um, there might be a point down the line where we kind of uh, 
are given Binky's predilections towards jazz. But this was really still kind of out of left field at this point, but it was uh, a reference I'm sure one of the writers fought to get in there. And so, and so finally he realizes it wasn't that big of a deal. And uh, on the way home in the car, he kind of says to Grandma Thora, like, it worked. I just kind of pictured you in the audience and it went fine and nobody was mad at my mistake. And then to end the episode, Arthur starts getting the hiccups and then DW starts giving him, pestering him with advice on how to get rid of them. I will say one more thing. Uh, so full disclosure, I was watching this on a YouTube video and a bunch <gasps> of... <laughs> and uh, hey, I didn't upload it. I'm just, I'm just saying it's out there. Uh, someone in the comments was mentioning how there's a YouTuber named Dan Howell who apparently was uh, inspired by this Arthur episode to play the piano. Now I wasn't able to confirm this. Uh, the YouTube channel Dan is not on fire. But if any of our listeners know anything about one Dan Howell, can you please corroborate whether or not this is true? Well, we also need our listeners to comment on that video and say that this was the Arthur episode that inspired you to eat peanut butter to not get hit the hiccups as well. So sure. that's a pretty big deal, too. Sure, go do that as well, and I'll, uh, I'll check back after some amount of time. Uh, no word from us kids this week, so it's time for the second half of our episode. This one's called The Big Blow-Up. Uh, this one is going to be centered on Brain and Francine because the cold open is all about Arthur... Uh, talking about how they're great friends, but they often disagree. And the thing that they're disagreeing about today is Francine saying that hockey is the best sport uh, because her her argument is that hockey is the best sport because the hockey players skate and try and uh, navigate the puck into the net at the same time. So it's almost like they're playing two sports. Now, this is a real-life argument that I've had many a time with my friends and I will say that Brain's counter-argument is very weak. This isn't really even like an argument. Uh, it's more just like a brainstorming session. Because it, rather than retort with another sport that is the best, Brain just challenges what the limits are of what a hockey player could do. You're right, it is very weak, and that was kind of going to be my go-to, go-to as well. Brain's just like, well, can a hockey player play golf while going like, a hundred miles an hour in an indie car, and we get a little cutaway of uh, of uh, the hockey player who looks to be in kind of a little bit looks like a Canadian's jersey almost, or it or it, it's a. I thought it was like a uh, like a European league jersey because okay. of the lettering. It looks like uh, the the Russian team's jersey. Okay, I'll buy that. Uh, you know, as he tries to is riding an indie car on a golf course and tries to get in the hole, and he does, but then he goes into the water. Yeah, I just, I didn't understand where Brain was coming from with this. It just sounded like he didn't have a counter-argument ready to go or he wasn't ready to stick up for a particular sport. Uh, More so a spec script for Happy Gilmore 2. I will say when I've had this argument in real life, uh, my friends will always say that hockey is the best sport. uh, And my counterpoint is I personally uh, believe basketball is the best sport, but they always say that basketball is for wussies because uh, hockey is more physical, which it's hard to retort that, though I will say basketball players have to be more athletic. Uh, and deep down, mixed martial arts is truly the greatest sport because it's the test of the will of the individual against one another. The combination of physical prowess and uh, mental strength. Yeah, I thought your go-to was going to be MMA, but right, you are a, you are a big basketball fan as well. Um, I'm not willing to say just because I'm not really a sports fan and I don't really have a dog in this fight and professional <laughs> wrestling absolutely is not a sport. So well, of course, not, I was going to, that's not in the conversation at all. If we count it, professional, professional wrestling is the greatest sport of all time. You know, with great events, like who could forget the great sporting history moment when, uh, Kurt Angle revealed that his great secret was he had a illegitimate son, you know, sports. That's yeah. I remember. I remember. Uh, I remember. Steph Curry did the same thing after he won the after he won the championship and just got on the mic. And oh was just no! Like, it turned out that his son was uh, a developmental prospect that we that doesn't really look like him and is a different race. <laughs> yeah, that's wrestling's kind of bad. Uh, so the episode starts with them. So we're into soccer season at this point. Uh, they all have. They're all uh, playing a soccer game. Or excuse me. 
I'll wrap up the cold opening here. The biggest argument that Francine and Brain get into is who is better at sports between the two of them, which Arthur kind of instigates and then gets the popcorn and uh, just lets them lets them go to town because apparently it's just that entertaining. I don't know. I don't find I don't find arguing very entertaining. I find it stresses me out. So I was kind of not for Arthur instigating in this manner. Uh, okay, so the episode actually starts with them playing soccer. And Francine and Brain, a great tag team. Uh, they are pretty much pretty much what's holding this team together. And the funny thing is, is that everybody kind of knows it. Like, uh, we go over to the stands, and they're just like, we haven't lost a game yet. Thanks to Francine and Brain, we're going to make it all the way to the championship. And did you notice we get our first line here from George, George the Moose. And he I said, was going to write down, is this George's first line? Yes, it is. Uh, as At least not as part as the, as the background. And it, he just says, indubitably. So it's it's his first... It's a, He's going from walk-on extra to, like, extra with line. I and wonder how long it's going to be before we get our first George episode. Is that not till season three, or is that coming? Uh, at least season three, if not if not longer, if, from what uh. I remember the first George episode being about. But it, it is coming. He does work his way up from uh, from uh, nameless extra to uh, sort of main character ish. They decide that they're like in order to get good enough for the championship, they're going to have to keep practicing. So they divide up after they celebrate their win. And get back to practicing. Uh, Francine and Brain in this scenario are on different teams. And Francine kind of steps close to the white line. And Brain immediately calls it on her saying that she's out of bounds. And then we get this horrendously pedantic argument about whether or not Francine is cheating. Whether she's over the line. Whether she isn't. Now, I will say, Will, I don't know how pedantic it is. Because I went back. We have the val- We have the ability to check the tape. <laughs> I rewound and I paused. I can unequivocally say that the right person in this argument... You ready for this? Do you know who I'm going to say? Did you do the same um, thing? Um, okay. I'm going to say... What? Is it Brain? Is Brain right? No, Francine's right. Her, okay, good. Her foot never went outside the line. So okay. Brain's actually in the wrong here. He's getting all worked up over nothing. Well, I okay, so I say good because... At this point, we know a lot about Francie's character. She's very stubborn, she's very argumentative and all this kind of stuff, but we've had time to get used to her. This is the first that we've seen Brain in almost like an oppositional, uh, or like an opportunity to see, I guess, his more negative traits. We've seen stuff like, oh, he's, you know, kind of a harebrained inventor, and uh, maybe goes off the deep end with his inventions. But this is the first where it's just like, he is really... Not argumentative, but he's stubborn. Is he's very stu- stubborn. He's very stubborn, and he's very committed to, uh, quote unquote, the truth. And it results in this very annoying argument between a rock and a hard place, where it's like Francine isn't going to admit she's wrong because she thinks that she's right and she's very stubborn, and Brain thinks that she's wrong and is desperate to prove her wrong. So I, I mean. I'm on nobody's side in this whole thing. You know, speaking of, like, I don't like it when people argue. Welcome to this episode. But uh, I definitely sided a bit more with Francine just because I guess I've had more time with her. But it, I think they're both being silly. Uh, and, of course, and but, of course, this is the point of the episode. They're not just, you know, uh, it's not unintentionally annoying or something uh, because we cut away from them arguing and they're apparently doing it what seems to be at least an hour later because Binky has gotten up to uh, 347, 829 uh, bops of the soccer ball on his head. And eventually he says, after he stops bopping the soccer ball on his head, he's like, oh, my head hurts. Like, Binky's giving himself CTE here, yeah. bopping up the soccer ball so much. I liked this little cutaway of how everybody's, like, kind of passing the time while Francine and the brain argue instead of playing soccer. Yeah. Like, Buster goes, <laughs> Buster, which is almost uncharacteristic for him, goes, I wish I brought a book. Yeah, just something to do, anything. And at one point, they drag Arthur into the argument, and they're both trying to... It's really interesting seeing how nakedly they're both trying to manipulate him. Of just like, uh, you know, Brain just being like, Arthur's honest and trustworthy. Why, there's no better kid in the whole school. And Francine's counter-argument is like taking his glasses away. Just like, he wears glasses. Are you going to trust what he sees? But then they immediately uh, go to the... They immediately go to the opposite of, of, you know... Arthur's thinking maybe Brain and then maybe Francine. And then Brain's just like, oh, sticking up for your friend. And then Francine's just like, go ahead, Arthur. And it's just, it's crazy how they're just 
like I say, nakedly manipulating him into doing into trying to get them to their side. I really, really loved this scene. Like the writing is super sharp. Like everybody's talking really fast. Like it's a uh, a, a mammoth movie or something, and so they're all arguing. And it was funny the like the shifts in character of how. At first, I was like, oh, like, Francine's being unreasonable, like she sometimes is. And then the second that Arthur says he's about to take Francine's side, Brain does the exact same thing, and Francine's all of a sudden, like, super pleasant. I thought the whole thing was great, and it really exemplifies how, or if that's the right word or not, it really shows that uh, they're both in the wrong, and they're both just trying to prove a point for no reason. It's like a mammoth movie. I was wondering why Brain at one point was just like, Arthur, who said you could work with men? Who told you you could work with men? What's the one from Heist where it's like, you want to know they, why they call it... No, you want to know why everybody wants it? Because it's called money. There's a really bad line from the movie Heist where it's like, you want to know why it smells, it's called money? Because it's money. Like, that's whatever people talk about Babbit quotes. That's what I always think of. Who's in Heist? I don't remember that one. Here, let me... I got to look this up because this is bugging me. But I'll, I'll look up the IMDB for Heist. You continue. Okay. Um, Arthur just eventually they leave to go home and uh, but Francine and Brain haven't resolved their argument Arthur thinks that it'll blow over by the time that they uh, get to school tomorrow uh, then we get a little bit of the B plot of this episode which is uh, uh, again centered around DW kind of doing something a little innocuous she's constructing her letter to Santa and getting Arthur's help to do so because he can read and write uh, in July or at least in the summer because she wants to beat the rush and make sure that her letter gets to Santa in time. Did you find it? Uh, no, but they remade it in 2015 with Batista and Robert De Niro. Uh, the original heist, 2001, starring Gene Hackman, Danny DeVito, uh, and Rebecca Pigeon. And if I could pull up quotes here. Who's the director? Uh, David Mamet, he directed it. Oh, okay. So he didn't just... Okay, yeah. here it is. And I'm glad I looked this up because this is worth it. This is such a bad line. You ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. <laughs> I feel like I might have heard that before, but that's uh, definitely one that hasn't stuck with me. Maybe for, maybe for good reason. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I got to watch Heist again, Will. Some of these quotes... Nice day for a race. What race is that? The human race. Kids growing up, so on. Hope for the future. <laughs> I gotta clearly look up more about this. Uh, yeah, totally. I uh, watch that again. I think I'll. I think I'll probably skip if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we get a little thing here of Arthur writing for DW, writing her Christmas her Christmas list, and. DW's trying to make it so that she kind of she kind of sweet talk an old Santa a little bit. I love this line, how she wants to start it off. Uh, she says, "Dear Santa, is it tough being the world's most handsome man?" And, and Arthur kind of groans at it. And then DW, being uncharacteristically, uh, well, maybe not uncharacteristically, like manipulating Arthur a little bit, but actually paying him a compliment of just like, it's like you're just used to hearing it all the time from other people. And Arthur's just like, "Oh well, thank you." Like almost DW- surprised. DW showing here that she's the master of the compliment sandwich, the dreaded compliment sandwich. Mm -hmm. Because after she butters Santa up, she immediately goes into her criticisms of last year's presents. Right. Uh, Right. It's just like, now Santa, there were just a few things wrong with the presents you gave me last year. Um, However, unlike Arthur's prediction, Francine and Brain are still mad at each other the next day at school. Like, Francine drops a pencil right next to her where Brain is, and she asks Muffy to pick it up. And Brain says, I don't want to pick it up because it might I might catch what makes her so Francine-y. And in fact, it's uh, getting so bad that it's actually affecting the people around them. So Mr. Ratburn ha- hands them out, like, a speed test. And Which, he- I gotta say, let me yeah. just take this opportunity to point out that this is an awful, awful way to not only judge uh how kids are doing with their academic studies but to teach anything really like this uh, i i know this is an arthur podcast and it's not really my uh opportunity to talk about teaching ethics and proper teaching technique 
But the whole idea behind a speed test, especially for third graders, seems crazy. I definitely did some of those back in the day. Whether or not they were, you know, appropriate is one thing. I just think that Arthur was set up to fail from the beginning here. And I hope that he contests uh, this this whole method because Mr. Ratburn started the test without him having a test. Like, it, it goes that, like, Brain won't pass to Francine. And by the time the tests get back around to Francine, who is right across from Arthur, she can't pass him one. So he tries to get one from Brain. Mr. Ratburn says no talking. And then by the time he tries to tell Mr. Ratburn he didn't get a test, time's up. And I'm just like, okay, well, you got to wait till everybody has one, man. Like, Arthur was set up from the beginning. Yeah, if anything, Arthur should get a free pass. Absolutely. Or Mr. Ratburn needs to get a better system. Uh, in the lunchroom, Francine and Brain are uh, arguing over a bowl of gelatin, bowl of jello or whatever you want to call it. And we get another sorry sir moment, except without the quote, because they end up uh, heaving the gelatin right into the back of Mr. Haney's head. Oh, man. Mr. Rain Mr. Haney, just a great butt of the joke for physical comedy this whole episode. Uh, I noted here, when we get back to the soccer field, there's a cool shot of Arthur and Buster, like, talking while they're running. And I just thought that that looked really neat. Like, the, just the shot of them running and the... Uh, the ground sort of uh, going away from the camera. I thought that was really cool. Um, so speaking of running gags and people getting you know, people being the butt of physical comedy, uh, since Francine and Brain won't pass to each other, they keep passing to Arthur and Buster, who, as they established in the early, are everyone on that soccer team is pretty much incompetent except for Francine and Brain. Yeah, B Buster and Arthur are as bad as Brain and Francine are supposedly good. Yeah. Like, whenever the ball is passed to them, they literally freeze and stand there until they're side-tackled by all angles. It reminded me of the part, uh, they recently added Monty Python's The Meaning to Life on Netflix, uh -huh. and there's a there's a part of that movie where children play rugby against adults, uh, <laughs> and this is what it reminded me of. Yeah, and, and not, I mean, you say side-tackled, I'm saying straight-up swarmed. Arthur and Buster just get swarmed like like they're just raw meat to a bunch of vultures. Like, like Arthur gets pretty much accosted, Buster ends up in, like, a handstand position. Like, they really rough him up. It's true. The, the refs aren't handing out a lot of yellow cards at these Elwood City regional soccer games. Some street soccer going on here. Uh, so Arthur and Buster are getting beat up out there and they decide that they have to try and repair, uh, Francine and the Brain's friendship. So they do so while trying to play some competitive sports. Uh, I like how kind of hackneyed the setup is for some of these, where it's like they're just clearly trying to get them to play together and have fun. Like, the first thing they do is ping pong and Buster just goes, ping pong is fun! Which I could have told Buster this was not going to go well because there's a famous story about how People who are naturally competitive, who are who are truly the creme de la creme of their sport, uh, are infamous for just being competitive with everything they do in their life. There's a famous story about Michael Jordan. If you beat Michael Jordan at ping pong, he wouldn't talk to you for weeks. Ugh. So I could I could predict that both the Braid and Francine would take this just as seriously. I mean, there's a thing to be said about being naturally competitive, and of course that's what a lot of athletes and people who compete for a living uh, have that kind of mindset. I just, that, that, sort of, that sort of thing just really repels me, I, I think. I just don't appreciate, you know, people who take, thing, take, take games too seriously, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've definitely, for me, I'm not much of a sports player, but the worst is like when you're playing with somebody who is very competitive and for me it was always video games when you're playing with somebody and then they get super mad when you beat them and then for for me that would always be like okay well let's either not play or i'll just let you win i mostly agree with you will except for in the case of smash brothers yes. where i become that person <laughs> right i'm trying to think if there's any if there's anything that i do that i'm super competitive in and I'm sure that I'm sure that there is because I think that I, I played an I played an Overwatch game or two with you where you get pretty invested. Yeah, it's I, it's, it's more of a it's more of a uh, it's less of a you getting mad when you do badly though, and you getting very very excited when you're doing well. <laughs> I I, I want to say that's the difference, but maybe this is being competitive in a way of just like when I get invested in let's say an Overwatch match and. Uh, 
and then I start doing really well, then I really don't want to lose. And then I mm. get a little upset when I do, but I feel like it doesn't affect me for weeks on end or something. And I definitely, if I'm playing, if I'm playing against friends, I don't, I don't take it at all personally, or at least I try not to. They try again, or so uh, Francine and Brain are just like going back and forth aggressively in ping pong until the ball basically disappears. We get a funny kind of sight gag of uh, Arthur and Buster's heads just like going back and forth really fast, so much so that Buster just kind of faints, and I thought that was funny. Um, they they play uh, some mini golf, and the uh, the shot we get is like Francine, her golf arm is so good that she like puts several holes in metal. She knocks over a bunch of, like, mini-golf accoutrement until she gets <laughs> uh, a technical hole-in-one because, so, like, she uh, lops off, like, a... Um, I'm trying to think... Like a, like, a statuette of a golf ball and it lands in the hole instead of the actual golf ball. So she's got she's got a mean arm, that Francine. Yeah, Francine loaded up her tiger shot. <laughs> Fran, uh, they're also... They also get really argumentative about playing table hockey... When's the last time you played table hockey? Well, this isn't necessarily table hockey, right? Or what well, you, I guess what you, what, no, what no, you, no, 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 no. You you're, you're right because I was confusing it with air hockey for a yeah. section. For I a think second, mm, they're very I feel, different. Hmm. I feel like table hockey and air hockey may be a bit interchangeable, but what I'm talking about is the kind where right. the hockey players are all standing up. And it's you like, have, like foos, the home it's, it's like foosball. Yeah, but it's, it's, but it's not quite foosball because the hockey players had set tracks that they take. Which yeah. Brain points out, uh, uh, Francine points out when Brain tries to accuse her of being offside, which is impossible to do with the table hockey game because all the players have to follow a track, and it's you can't make one of your players go offside. Yeah, speaking of Brain being argumentative to the point of it being really annoying, that line. Uh, the last time I played that was actually at a bar in Toronto last year. So I've actually played it fairly recently. Um, oh. but, but not a whole lot as a kid. And then finally, they're just playing cards again. Buster with the hammy setup of, what's more fun than cards? And I, and I really love this line. Uh, Francine says, uh, you got any threes? Brain's like, go fish. And she just goes, go fish yourself! It sounds like something out of like my life is strange or something. It was funny. <laughs> uh, that's I just thought that was it's just, just, like just clearly. It seemed like the game had only just started and Francine was just already having none of it. So they mm. so they're trying everything and nothing is really going well and it's still affecting them uh, on the field. Uh, we get more shots of like Arthur and Buster getting just basically beaten up by the other teams. And if and they even say like if we don't win this one we're out of the playoffs and we get Buster with this like weird uh, illustration of how bad it would be if they were out of the playoffs he just goes out of the playoffs <coughs> like pretends to choke no, himself he's, yeah he's choking it's the it's it's when you're making fun of a team that for choking so hard let's say the Atlanta Falcons uh, and you do a choke pantomime that's like a that I was surprised to see that because that's like a taunt thing you know what I mean like oh yeah. you're choking choke choke uh, it was funny to see Buster bust that out but he's just trying to inspire Francine and the brain to play well or if you go also sorry uh, also uh, throughout this whole time DW keeps asking uh, Arthur for advice on uh, this Santa list this uh, this yeah letter to santa uh and one of the things she asks is for uh arthur to get help her figure out the prices of all her presents so she could uh do the math and figure out what they cost in different countries in case santa is gonna score a sick deal and it's funny because i was thinking about dw thinks about christmas the exact same way i did as a kid like i always gave my parents like a list with numerical values attached to all the presents just to make it easy for them to budget it out <laughs> that's very considerate of you uh, well, yeah. Hey, it, it was a means to the end of me getting presents, so... For sure, but not a lot of kids would go that extra mile. I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, so Buster and Arthur are kind of figuring out what to do in the treehouse, and then they finally realize that uh, what they can do is get uh, Francine and Brain to write each other letters about how important their friendship is to each other. Because they know that deep down they don't want to stop being friends, and they just need to make them realize it. Uh Arthur comes to this revelation because DW is again asking for help with her letter. And I like how when Arthur gets the idea, he starts talking with Buster and DW is trying to get his attention like, Hey, remember me, the little girl whose heart may be broken at Christmas? 
Yeah, all the stuff in this episode, I'll tell you what, and this might be foreshadowing to our conversation at the end with the reviews, but I much prefer DW subplot in this episode than the burping episode, mostly because the burping was just kind of annoying, whereas the constant check-ins of DW's summertime Christmas list I thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of, it doesn't really have anything to do with the episode until the very end, but it was a funny little aside, a break from the arguments, if you will. So uh, Arthur and Buster try to get them both to write letters, and they start off kind of cordial as they read them as they read them to each other. Just like, uh, it, you know, Brain says, "I adamantly refuse to apologize because you're wrong." And Francine's just like, "Everybody knows you're very smart, so what's your excuse for acting so dumb all the time?" So they're still very salty at each other. But then they, but then Arthur figures out that they can just rewrite the letters. And poses Francine and Brain, and his big mistake here is, uh, and somehow somehow it doesn't get discovered until much later, is getting Buster to write for Brain. I don't know, like yeah. that wouldn't be my that wouldn't be my how I would divide up that work. You know what though, they got away with it. They sure did. So I guess it didn't matter, even though in the next scene, like uh, Francine and Brain are reading letters supposedly from each other, and Francine says. It's like, I agree with his letter, except I have no idea why Brain spelled soccer with two K's and a Q. I don't know how that didn't tip her off right there. Yeah, I, or, I don't, I, don't I, could, I could see how someone would use K's. I'm trying to figure out where the Q would fit in. And okay. also, if there's, I guess, a Q with no U, I'm to assume. I, you got me, man. Like, I wrote down S-O-K-K-Q-E-R, but really, it could be anywhere, because that just doesn't make a lick of sense. Shockwer, shockwer. Sounds like a po- sounds like a Pokemon. Mm. <laughs> shockwer, shockwer. <laughs> and uh, Brain's thing is that uh, Arthur accidentally wrote his on the back of DW's Christmas list, so he's just like, "I refuse to give into her list of demands. I want footing pajamas and a blonde princess mole rat," which is apparently what DW wants for Christmas. But then eventually Arthur and Buster fool them and they manage to play together. And it's the big game against Mighty Mountain. And they actually managed to get one. I don't know where the standings are of Lakewood Elementary versus Mighty Mountain, but at least they got the W here. Which means they make it to the playoffs. That's right. Uh, and everybody's happy that they've made up. And then finally it comes down of just like Francine mentions, or Brain mentions Francine's letter to him. And then they just realize that Arthur and Buster uh, wrote the letters instead. And the episode ends with them being carried away in celebration by the team. And they're not mad at each other anymore. Now they're mad at Arthur and Buster. And we, and we hear Francine kind of saying, like, that Arthur always thinks he knows what's best for other people. What a Budinsky. I remember that when I was a kid, this is the first time I ever heard the term Budinsky. I had completely forgotten it. Uh, but hearing it now, it's definitely going to be entered into my lexicon going forward. Budinsky. And then the episode ends with Arthur and Buster walking off, and Arthur says, you spelled soccer with two Ks and a Q? To which Buster says, right, it's two Qs and a K, right? <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know, dude, but somehow Buster has some, some troubles uh, grasping spelling here. All right, let's, let's head it on back to Arthur versus the piano. Lucas, what would you think of that one? Uh, Arthur versus the piano was okay. It was pretty innocuous. Uh, it wasn't like the best episode ever, but it certainly wasn't a bad episode. The big highlight, of course, was the uh, hypothetical scenario where if Arthur missed the note and is somehow kicked out of his house and home and destitute for life, whereas uh, DW becomes super famous for having the hiccups. All that stuff was really great. Uh, but besides that and uh, some other fun imagery with... Arthur picturing everybody with his grandma's head. It was sort of a f- another forgettable episode. So I'm going to tip my hand a little bit here for both of the episodes. Uh, so I kind of... S- these I kind of see as two sides of an opposite coin, whereas the coin is a mediocre episode. One of these is mediocre, but more on the positive side. The other one is mediocre on the less positive side. And... Arthur versus the piano for me is more on the positive side, but really I didn't think it was anything super special. I think I was just kind of a bit, I liked uh, kind of the sentimentality behind the message of the episode, which is, you know, uh, all about like stage fright and nervousness and all that kind of stuff. And I liked the core of it, which was about Arthur 
you know, wanting to play nice for Grandma Thora and then eventually coming through and realizing that, you know, failing isn't as bad as he made it out to be in his head, which is definitely a big trope of the way Arthur kind of internalizes things. So I kind of like that. Um, I felt it went by really quickly. There wasn't a whole lot of meat to the episode, and I thought that the subplot was also uh, not great. I thought it was kind of cute for a gag here or there, uh, but, you know, nothing super substantial. So I thought it was okay on the positive side. Well, on that note, it's interesting you say that because I kind of agree. I thought one of these was pretty much mediocre, but on a little bit more on the negative and mediocre on the positive. But mine was the inverse of yours. I actually enjoyed the big blow up a little bit more, uh, mostly because I thought it was more of a comedic Arthur episode. I got a kick out of a lot of the goofs in this episode from uh, some of the ridiculous... Th well, just the whole situation being ridiculous with Francine and Brain arguing over... Uh, her being out of bounds in a practice to Arthur getting clobbered by the other uh, soccer players to uh, DW's ridiculous Christmas list in the middle of the spring or summertime. All that stuff I got a pretty big kick out of. Uh, as an episode as a whole, it's like, like Arthur versus the Piano, pretty mediocre, but I thought some of the gags were funny enough that I kind of liked it a little bit more. Mm. Well, yeah, like I said, I tip my hand. It's a bit more mediocre on the negative side just because I found that there was uh, stuff in the episode that more annoyed me than anything else, which, as I mentioned, was kind of the argumentative nature of Brain and Francine. I do think it was important to kind of put their personalities together and see how they can kind of bounce off each other in a more negative way. So I think that that was good to be able to learn that. It just didn't make for a very compelling episode. And I, and I also thought, like Arthur versus the Piano, and as you said, it was kind of a little thin and a lot of the other stuff, like the W with the Christmas list didn't do much for me, and I kind of thought it wasn't all that funny, but it also wasn't as... It's definitely not the worst thing I've ever seen. It just kind of left me feeling nothing. I also thought uh, the ending to the big blow-up was really creative. Like, I expected when they were writing the letters that Francine and Brain would read each other's letters and make up. I actually, it was a thought, it was a fun little twist that they wrote hateful letters and uh, Buster and Arthur had to intervene. Uh, and then it was sort of their annoyance with Buster and Arthur that brought them together. I thought that was like a fun way. To, they had a really obvious, uh, predictable message there and moral. And I thought they took it in a funner direction, more fun direction. Excuse me. Thank you. Uh, no, I, yeah, I agree with you on that. It certainly could have been a lot more cliched than it ended up being. So I appreciate that it wasn't exactly, you know, what you could predict it to be. All right, so there you have it, Arthur versus the Piano and the Big Blow-Up. Kind of thumbs in the middle episode, but still uh, still fun to talk about, and I'm glad that you joined us for that. All right, uh, quickly, the plugs for where you can find us if you'd like to keep the conversation going, uh, and uh, check out some of uh, our Arthur screen caps uh, posted every day. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Limits. I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody if you nominated us in the Coast's Best of Halifax Awards for Best Podcast. The nominations are closed, so it's going to be a little bit before we hear if we were nominated or not. But everybody who went to our Facebook and clicked the link, thank you so much. I really appreciate it because I think it'd be so cool to be nominated. So that's awesome. I appreciate it too. Thank you to everybody, and thank you for reminding me, Lucas. Thank you to everybody. We will let you know. Uh, if we end up being nominated this year, which would be awesome. And uh, if that's the case, where you can vote for us, but all in uh, due time. Uh, on Twitter, we are at ECL Podcast. You can follow us over there. If you're on Tumblr, you can find us, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. And finally, if you would like to be one of our many, many great emailers from an episode, you can send us an email. Uh, that's elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. And thank you to everybody who wrote one in this week. I just want to take a quick note here and say that to our uh, winner uh, of the of the Elwood City Limits contest, I know I've been saying it for a couple of weeks, but I have it in my to-do list this week to buy everything for that care package and get it sent out. So Ultra Esky, hang tight, my dude. We will be getting that to you as soon as possible. Finally, ways for you to listen to us. Uh, we are on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Limits. You can find us on the iTunes store. Uh, and if you please give us a rating and review, if you haven't already, we really appreciate it and helps more people find us. 
And finally, we are also on the Google Play Store. If you prefer to listen on your Android device, that's the place to go on Google Play to find us. Next week, it's going to be an episode. If this is going to be the final episode before I move out of where I uh, out of where I'm currently living, and we're both living in the city of Halifax, so we'll be eligible for those Coast Awards. We won't be, you know, fudging the details. Hey, we're fifty percent eligible right now. That's right. And by next week, uh, after we record next week's episode, we will be one hundred percent eligible. So next week, we will we will be talking the episodes lost and the short, quick summer. Now, Lucas, I just want to cut you off in the past before anything. This is not Arthur's take on the famous TV series Lost. I was just going to say, is Arthur going to tell us about the numbers, or is he going to tell us that we need to go back, Kate? No, I think Arthur is Arthur's the man in black, and Buster is Jacob. <laughs> oh, man. But we'll have to... We'll ha- so, uh, we got to get all of these out of our system now before we actually watch the episode. Oh, no, dude. There's way more coming next <laughs> week. <laughs> all right. So, Lost in the Short Quick Summer. Uh, follow along with us. Watch the episode before or listen to us and then watch the episode. However you like to do it, we appreciate you listening. Uh, for Elwood City Limits, my name is Will Young. And for Lucas Mancini... No sweat. I know it all. And we'll see you next time. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money.